Lord Have Mercy is growing rapidly. If you would like to sponsor episodes like this, there's an open spot right here at the front of the show. Just write to hi at crystalcheatham.com. Enjoy the show. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. And today on the show, we have Joss Nunez. Joss has made it their life's work to create a ruckus where fundamentalism is concerned. Fighting for queer rights means testing the limits. I brought Joss on the show because they are one of my favorite people and because they are a kick-ass storyteller. Short disclaimer, this episode was recorded a while ago, but I think the content is still ripe for the picking. And now, Joss. All right, here we are. Um, I want to welcome my friend Joss. Hi. Uh, <laughs> do you want to interest, introduce yourself, Joss? Sure. Um, I'm Joss. I use they and them pronouns. Uh, I am the Director of Programs and Communications for Soulforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am super excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. <laughs> I fell in love with you when first we met last year at Creating Change. No, wait, we met at in D.C. a couple months before that. And I am... Um, I don't know. Our bromance has just kind of flourished since then. <laughs> yeah, and our takedown of the right. Remember, we were strategizing about Rick Warren. I know, right? <laughs> I just want I just want everybody on the airwaves to know that um, I used to uh, be a co-conspirer with Joss. I used to work alongside them, and um, something I used to do when we because we would travel a lot to different conferences. And something I used to do. Well, here's another thing: is that you know, Soulforce. Um, was trying to save on the budget. So we always had to share rooms when we were traveling. And I, at some point, every single time would wake up in the night or in the morning and take a picture of myself next to Joss sleeping. And then I would send it to Joss after we had departed. Like after the conference was over, Joss would get a text from me that was just a picture text of them sleeping soundly like a little bear. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to see pictures of me being preyed on by Crystal, my sleep <laughs> creeper, I know. You can follow us on social media and enjoy all that. Yeah. Well, I invited you on um, not to talk about what you're like asleep, but um, to talk about the amazing work that you are doing as a queer activist of faith. Um, and so just to get started, I'm wondering if you can uh, let us know about a bit about your personal story, where you've been, where you come from, what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I am, um, well, some of my, some of the identifiers that are most important to me are that I am uh, a young person living in the South in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I am second generation U.S. Uh, and my people are from the Caribbean. Um, and I'm Latina and, um, yeah. What's another way to, um, push back against, you know, Christian supremacy and figure out how it is, uh, being used as a tool, um, to push our government in different directions. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I came on, uh, with lots of stories to share. So my work in, in Soulforce right now, particularly in this political moment, I, I, at this moment, we are a week into uh, Donald Trump's reign. Oh, it um, hurts. And, yeah, and it hurts. <laughs> and um, 
And so a lot of what I've been doing, particularly in the past six months, um, has just been research. And particularly for SoulForce, a lot of messaging research, research on like what messages are being used uh, on the right and how it is that we counteract and like talk back to those narratives um, in ways that are life-giving and, uh, and really push back and disrupt uh, some really powerfully... Uh, intense spiritual violence and spiritual warfare, as Reverend Abel would say, um, that that conflates and gives power to this like reigning empire of terror. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we've talked about in Soul Force and talk a lot about is the idea that um, Christian supremacy works and is crucially important because um, some of the most evil, treacherous things that we could that you can think of happen because there is a moral impetus for them to happen. So the idea of being able to lock somebody up for the rest of their lives for things like drug offenses, for example, Mm -hmm. are entirely tied to the ways that we understand and interpret goodness and who is entitled to life. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are connected for a lot of us to our um, and in a Christian, in a in an empire that is connected to Christianity and claims it in the way that, for example, Donald Trump signed an executive order, particularly saying that any Christian refugees would be put to the top of the list. Um, right, what that gives us all that we need to know and have to say about what is the reigning um, religion in this moment and who is actually being martyred. Um, a Christian just, nation, absolutely, and, and Christians so, are not being persecuted. <laughs> Contrary to what people say, yeah. Yes. And so um, what I love to conspire on and have found a lot of joy in doing as I, like, watch a lot of this right-wing stuff and throw myself deep into the rhetoric that um, is being used to uh, move folks super to the right um, is by researching the history of, like... um, of our own on the left, our own understandings and ethics and morals and our moral contribution, whether or not it connects to Christianity, but the idea of like, how do we use our own moral convictions in a way that turns that particular Christian power on its head? Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, one story that I was recently looking at um, was particularly around the Vietnam War. And there were a group of, um, there were lots of folks who were doing draft dodging at the time. And we learned a lot about that in our history classes, or at least in my history class, that was mm-hmm. like thing that we learned about, the doves versus the hawks and all I, of that. And I forget was, history class. It's been that long, but you're way younger. So <laughs> I'm mainly like a social studies refresher. <laughs> so there were lots of folks who were, there was, I mean, a lot of national conversation, particularly because this war, the Vietnam War, was one of the first that was um, deeply, you know, uh, connected to real-time media, like live TV and mm-hmm. video. And so we had new images coming in every day about what exactly it looked like to um, to be ensconced in this war and um, folks were resisting and saying no absolutely not and so um, what we hear a lot about in the resistance is people um, who were protesting and um, putting flowers and guns and and all of that along who resisted um, through uh, what is often framed as just passive resistance and people um, saying because of my faith I refuse to engage in war because I refuse to harm another person with my own hands yeah Um, 
which is a super wonderful thing. And when I when I look at a lot of the uh, organizing that's happening in Christianity on the left right now, that's what I see too. Uh, a lot of really wonderful folks are saying, I refuse to be complicit in harming somebody with my own hands, um, mm -hmm. whether we're talking not offering sanctuary to somebody who is a refugee and being their country, um, or what have you. Uh, and there were some folks, and so one of the stories that I was reading is particularly about this wave of um, of activists who were going to um, to enlistment stations and enlistment offices uh, where folks had to sign up for the draft and going and destroying drafts um, and destroying drafting documents. And one Whoa. of the that I loved, love, love um, is about a group of folks, and I think they're called the um, Catonsville Nine. Yeah, the Catonsville Nine, um, and they're led by two priests. They're these nine folks in the middle of Maryland um, who are Catholic, and they walk into a draft office um, and take out of the file something like three hundred um, draft files and take them out to the parking lot and just burn them. What? And they do it in there, like, it is a, a part of that outspoken, we are doing this as a matter of um, of our moral dignity and the moral righteousness of this moment is a part of the thing, right? And so, like, hmm. uh, one of the people, uh, Friar Berrigan, is one of the leaders of the Cadensville Nine. Um, and he writes a release afterwards, and it starts with, our apologies, good friends, for the fracture of good order, the burning of paper instead of children. Um, and so it's this moment of, um, of being righteously badass, super righteously badass on the left. Um, and we see this over and over again. Um, Crystal, you asked me to come on uh, a couple of weeks ago and had cited a particular like Facebook status that I wrote about... Yeah the young Methodist who organized, I think in the 1930s and wrote, um, they wrote a statement to the, to the greater Methodist church, yeah. uh, that asked the church to repeal their worship of capitalism, um, in this moment that is like right after the great depression. And these are pieces of history that a lot of us, particularly young people of faith don't learn. And they're deeply, deeply, deeply disruptive and entirely in line with, um, our, like a lot of our, when we interrogate our ethics, our ethics and values, um, for those of us who claim that history, those ancestors of like disruptive badass living in the legacy of Jesus, flipping tables, making whips to chase out the, um, chase yeah. out the, you know, the, yeah. So there's, that's a, that's something that I'm in love with and it, it gives me great hope for what it looks like to have a, what some people call about a, as a moral revival of the mm -hmm. left um, that is united under some sort of greater morality, some like ethic uh, because the right has talked us into believing that they are the ones with a moral, that I they know. are that, and that is just absolutely unacceptable. That's ridiculous. Um, into it. <laughs> Joss. Hey. Uh, I'm really interested in hearing stories. Like that one is very it's very fascinating and it shows me what um what people have been prepared to do. And I think, yeah, even what we can do right now, like even just people getting up and going to the airport to protest is is very big, you know, and figuring out other um sneakier ways of doing that 
untraceable ways of doing that, of, uh, <laughs> you know, um, oh, like burning files. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's important even for our souls, you know, to know that we did something um, and that we're not going down if we do go down without a fight. Um, yeah, and so I know that even working with Soul Force, you've been able to do quite a lot of sneaky things, um, <laughs> sleuthing, as you like to call it. And um, do you have any stories about just, you know, um, fighting for what you believe in and pushing back against Christian supremacy with Soul Force? Yes, I would love to share. So uh, one story in particular comes out of my time last year uh, organizing the 10th anniversary of the very first equality rides that Soul Force had ever done. Mm. Um, and which you are also an alumnus of. Uh, we both got our badges. And so the Equality Ride, uh, I don't know, Crystal, if you actually want to explain it. You know it longer yeah. than I do. I guess the Equality Ride is, you know, you get a bunch of queers and allies on a bus and they go around uh, the U.S. to different, it used to be army bases and then they switched it up to conservative churches and then finally landed on um, conservative colleges and universities, um, especially the ones that have in their student handbooks policies that are anti-LGBTQ that equate um, queer with pedophilia and <laughs> criminal activities. Um, and so we would roll up uh, to the school and we would um, demand to speak to uh, their um, student government and, of course, the administration, the provost, the president, um, and talk to them, just give them information on how what they were doing was hurting and killing people. Um, and half of it was, um, became a time where we could um, sit in community and talk straight to them. Um, we would sit and have like a meal with the student body and with the administrators. And other times we would stand outside um, their their walls because they wouldn't let us in and we would protest. And so the Equality Ride um, is, has a, has a tradition of, um, of kind of pushing the envelope, especially when it comes to these institutions that have, uh, the right to, um, kick people out for being gay and lesbian, whether you're a staff or a student and withhold transcripts for being trans. Um, and so, uh, what we were able to do, I think, has uh, was just like a drop in the bucket. Um, and every year we were pushing and pushing and pushing against a very solid wall. Um, and and here we are today. And I think that ice is finally broken and we're starting to see some some real change and turnaround, at least in the conservative or at least in the, the Christian church is what I'll say, because even yeah. even liberals were still pretty much assholes. Anyway, <laughs> that's yeah. that's what equality, the equality <laughs> right is. And uh, so and that's part of how I know you is because you are one of the many of us who ha yeah. have done that thing. There's probably hundreds of us. You, and so you have not lived as a, uh, as an activist until you have sat on that bus for three months, two months, <laughs> and you are raw from putting yourself in the line of, of, of danger and meanness and just, you know, yeah. yeah. And it's intense. And so I got to also experience that um, last year. I, I went on, um, I think, what was the sixth or the seventh ride. Mm -hmm. um, and we did a, a shorter, smaller southern tour, mm -hmm. um, particularly to Southern Baptist institutions, but um, to many institutions that um, had been uh, considering or have filed for an exemption to Title IX, which is... Um, it it's a like um, it's an initiative by the Department of Education and the Department of Justice uh, to 
make sure that there is, um, uh, you know, sports and other educational access, things around educational access that are free from discrimination for people of any gender. Um, and so in 2012, I think it was extended by the Obama administration to also include gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stoked very quickly a lot of um, a huge uh, organized movement from many Christian colleges and other churches who said, oh, that's not going to fly. We want to be able to do what we want on our campuses in terms of reprimanding our queer and trans students. And we could potentially get sued or called into accountability um, for kicking a queer or trans student out or like having them not have access to resources that any student should have. Big shocker. That, that's yeah. a bad thing. So um, we at SoulForce have been running a campaign on that for a while and took a tour to a couple of those campuses to meet with students and to meet with administration, to talk through what was happening and to offer safe spaces to students and have greater campus discussions about what actually was going on in a way that was loud and maybe a little bit obnoxious. And that's kind of the point. Um, <laughs> and so there's one stop I remember very particularly is in uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. We went to um, Jackson. <laughs> Jackson. I mean, Jackson sounds so southern, so like in the belly of the beast, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I loved it, and it was deeply reminiscent of so many pieces of my childhood as a young southern person. Um, and we're talking about the deep south, the Bible Belt. Yep. And so, um, and to a Southern Baptist college, and uh, so we took a meeting with administration that was oh, it was so long and it was so hard. It showed up mm. with three or four, maybe even five queer and trans young folks. Um, all of us people of color uh, and talking to the president of the university who is very unabashedly um, alongside his two staff members, just hard and ruthless even about um, the, the state of the students on their campus that potentially mm-hmm. and definitely were queer and trans and were needing safe spaces, um, had told us that the stories that we had collected from their students who were at their school were nonsense and bullshit. And we had conversations about the dignity of um, of our lives as queer people and our bodies as queer people as defined by scripture. And, and that's a whole story. But mm-hmm. um, And so that was hard. And it was what we went to do. And um, I like to think that that person may or may not have come out of that with something that helped somebody somewhere. Um, but what was most exciting and incredible to me um, was that when we were done with that meeting, which was in a public coffee shop, uh, we turned around, the four or five of us totally like bedraggled and dusting ourselves off and ready to go have lunch because we were exhausted. Those meetings can be so long and so tough because yeah. you're up there pouring your heart out. You know, as a, as a, like a queer Christian activist, you have to remain open and tell your story and be willing to absorb all of the hate, all of the pushback that all of the venom that they're just going to spew at you because, you know, their problem with LGBTQ identities is just like this swollen boil, right? And then you're there puncturing it, you know, Mm -hmm. and of course, of course, it's just going to be like a bunch of um, vitriol and then, you know, hopefully eventually it heals. But yeah, so... I don't know how many hours you were you you've been there, but um, I thought Albert Albert talked to me about it one time and said that it was just like it felt like the entire day in a hot room with people who like weren't willing to open up their hearts. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
what was lovely after that though was that we turned around and there was a student who looked at us and was like i was there for the whole thing and i thought that mm. y'all were the most brave incredible person yeah. and i'm shooting um and it turned out that who was behind us just randomly was this queer senior who was out and who ran this underground group um that did like a wednesday youth service and was a mm -hmm. youth at a church nearby and this was holy wednesday um and so that incredible human being uh whose name is benjamin invited us to um actually just be a part of the service um at that wow. church he was struck and was so grateful and we were so grateful that we had found each other in that moment of resistance and i to this day am still struck by like how important, even when those things are so hard to do, when it's so hard to put yourself out there and on the mm. line, um, that it is incredibly significant to stick by what you think is is the right thing, right? But that stick to our morals and our ethics um, and how we engage as people of faith uh, because you don't know who's in the room. Woo! Tell me it was worth it. Tell me it was worth that I one person. it was so worth it. Like For me, anyway. I don't know if everybody else thought so, but yes. I was like... This is why we do the thing. This is why we do the thing. This is why we do the thing. Um, my time with Soul Force came to an end, and um, it was not infrequent that a couple months would pass, and um, one of a, one of the equality writers would get an email from someone, you know, and then we would circulate it to everyone and just be like, "Hey, look what the, I mean! Like, we really did plant seeds. It's not for naught, you know." And those things were just so warming because you know that. Um, once you turn on the light for someone, it spreads like wildfire. It's not like, you know, it just doesn't stay in one spot. And um, I know that the very many years that Soul Force has been in action have turned on so many lights that we have been able to just like be a wildfire. And I'm really proud of what you guys are doing right now. It's so kick ass. <laughs> and the thing about that kind of activism is that it's, it is like what we do when we have a moral conviction that cannot be silenced or uprooted yeah it's like and it's so it's not like i mean i love soul force and it's like a part of the the idea of soul force of even the name of it is that it is the force of one's spirit one's human spirit mm -hmm. that like just so hard that it is incredibly powerful and an unmovable force and yeah. so it's work that we all can do and be a part of um yeah. that work of of just being courageous and of that moral conviction mm. you got to give me another story we can't we can't move on <laughs> like I'm loving uh, it <laughs> yeah absolutely well um goodness gracious how about uh well can I tell you the story of something that is going to be happening soon or would you like another past story tell me about something that's that's happening soon um okay. I think we're all fired up about you know, what's happening in our world and how we can get involved. Do you want to tell a story about the past and the future? Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, I'll, they're all raveled up in each other. So okay. um, I, uh, along with many of us, have been working uh, in Soul Force on messaging, particularly um, the kind of messaging that is on a, from an organized front from the religious right, uh, and that is disseminated through um, communication channels. So part of the research that I've been doing is around like, how does evangelical messaging um, get spread and like, can, mm. 
uh, conflated with like a uh, political power. Um, and so I have stories about that. I'd be excited to tell anybody about my research anytime, but to, to keep it brief, um, we know that 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 particular kind of messaging is deeply important and it's had a lot to do with the past 60 or 70 years of the rise of the religious right, um, starting with even in the 1940s, the like National Association of Evangelicals, um, literally organizing together all of the evangelicals in the U.S., which were fairly like disparate and out doing their own thing in the world because they wanted access to radio because churches could have um, free airtime to radio mm. from the FCC, um, well, the Federal Council of Churches, and um, the evangelical, e different evangelical churches came together understanding that they wouldn't have access to that free um, airtime unless they consolidated their power. And so that, to me, signals the beginning of um, understanding that there needs to be an organized front on the right, and that like continues to roll over when we're talking about the rise of the moral majority in the 1970s around... Um, the desegregation of schools and wanting to preserve white segregationist academies and Roe versus mm. Wade and, um, and, you know, anti-marriage equality and same-sex uh, uh, configurations and anti-sodomy laws, all that. Yeah. Um, and so, so the communication sector is super important, not only for that reason, but also because it, like, one particular target that we spend the most time on researching, which is national religious broadcasters. Mm -hmm. um, they have 1,400 member associations that reach, I think it's 10 million homes a day or have the capacity to. And so that particular, like, that broadcasting power alongside the their particular moral convictions um, and standpoints and their political standpoints really yeah. around... Um, uh, their code of ethics explicitly say that any member station cannot um, broadcast anything that is condoning of uh, homosexuality. And so um, that is, you know, there's, you can't say that there is no, um, like, connection between power and religion in that moment yeah. uh, when you have such strong broadcasting power. So all that to say, um, as long as I've been at Soul Force, we have been doing that particular kind of work. And last year, um, and you were there for that, we, uh, we went and shut down the National Religious Broadcasters um, yeah. Convention, or at least went to disrupt it with a prayer circle um, and disrupted Rick Warren's speaking yeah. um, at that. And so, and so that was a, a very powerful moment for a lot of us uh, who have been touched and, and harmed by mm -hmm. that particular our brand of messaging um and so that was lovely that was in nashville 20 uh nashville tennessee in 2016 and we had like 22 23 folks mostly young people who were in divinity school as a matter of fact who went and uh and prayed with us down at the at the convention center and so this year um in about June or July, and it wasn't very long at all after the Pulse massacre had happened, which was in the middle of June, um, that we had received word um, through like the emails that I subscribed to from the NRB yeah. that they were going to be hosting their that's conference shameful. in Orlando. In Orlando. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's shameful. Like, that's disgusting. It is. And it, it's just untimely. And whether it was on purpose or not, it is 
you know, the, the harm and the violence that they do is the same. Um, and so, uh, we acted pretty quickly and decided that we would be uh, meeting them down there in Orlando and, and connected with other folks in Orlando, other uh, queer and trans folks, Latinx folks um, who uh, are saying hell no too, that mm-hmm. that is absolutely unacceptable. Churches as well um, and folks of faith who are our moral conviction says absolutely not that, that, um, that we uh, will not allow like just the audacity of showing up um, leads us to say like, we, we won't let you be here without being disrupted. Um, So our plan is to go down next month during their conference. I think it's February 26th to March 2nd Mm -hmm. um, and host a a living altar of resistance. Um, And uh, that altar will be in the convention center and will be, um, held down for a 24-hour vigil for the entire duration of the conference by queer and trans folks um, from Orlando and everywhere, um, taking shifts and holding space and disrupting the space and not allowing folks to forget whose space it is and who died here um, and why and how and what spiritual violence looks and feels like and continues to do harm on our people. Um, And so, yeah. What the story? I mean, the story about that is just that that is a like that's an ongoing story that we get to tell together. So, yeah. like the story that I shared of the of the draft burners of these like priests who said, "Absolutely not, we're going and we're snatching the draft cards and yeah. we are putting our our bodies on the line." They got arrested for that. Cool. And so, what is it? You know, what does it look like to be building out our own stories that are that future generations are going to be proud of us for doing and holding down that fort, even if they're small. Yeah. Um, and so uh, anybody can be involved with that action. Yeah, that was my question. How can any of us get involved with this? I don't know. I mean, I would love to show up and maybe I'll be able to do that. But if I can't, what can I do? Totally. So on our website, we do have um, a, a form where you can sign up and tell us whether or not you're coming to Orlando. And we can help you find a space if you're trying to drive down. Um Woo! And so that's one option. But even if you can't be there, um, we need a cloud of witnesses to also show up through doves. And so we on our website um, and maybe, Crystal, you can help share that. But um, the URL is uh, soulforce.org forward slash keep hyphen pulse hyphen alive. Um, and keep there you can download okay. Yes, keep pulse alive. And so there you can download a one pager, a PDF. Um, that has paper doves on it. And we're asking folks to send doves from all over that have messages um, that they want to send to Orlando, whether they be of resistance or hope or joy or anger or whatever. And those messages um, alongside your beautiful dove decorations can be sent to um, volunteers in Orlando. And when we when we go down there, we're going to add that all those doves to our altar, our living altar of resistance and the ideas to show up with a with an angry cloud of doves, we have probably two or three hundred right now. Um, mm. the, and they're beautiful, all sorts of colors. And people have done amazing things alongside somebody who donated forty nine clay doves to put on our altar as representatives of the people that we lost in Pulse. Um, and so we invite everybody to send doves and, and visit the website so you can learn how to do that. And it's not a very long process at all and the doves fit in an envelope so 
um, that is a way to show up with your moral conviction and courage um, and to add yourself to that cloud of witnesses. Yeah. Can people donate to help with some of the housing and costs or, um, yeah, is there a way to do that through Soulforce? Yeah, absolutely. Please visit our website um, and we would love help with any of that alongside any of the other things that, that will happen when you disrupt a space like that. Um, yeah. so we'll need help with um, an emergency fund and um, all of that. Um, and also just to spread the word, the, the action is um, just to, to, I mean, it's partially to disrupt and it's also to speak out to our people and say, like, we are... Um, you know, we can amplify our own moral messages of yeah. what it means to show up um, in faith or, or even not as a person of faith, but as a person of conviction. Joss, where can people find out more about you or where can they get in contact with you if they um, are interested in learning more about some of these things that are on your heart? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm the only Joss Nunez in the world. So you can Google me and you can also find me um on Soulforce, uh, my email is jasmine, Y-A-Z-M-E-E-N, at soulforce.org. Um, and anywhere else that you find me, I will be super excited to connect with you. Excellent. Excellent. Um, was there like a Twitter handle or anything that goes with that or with Soulforce? Yeah, uh, Soulforce is on Twitter. Um, we're Soulforce.org on Twitter. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um yeah. Cool. Kick ass. Jess, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you, Crystal. I fucking love you. <laughs> I love you. And I love the work that you're doing. And um, I hope that people will write in and respond to this. Um, you can go right to crystalcheatum.com and uh, on the, at the podcast link. Um, you can write a note to Joss so that everybody can see, or if you want to send uh, a message um, another way, you can go, you can write to hi at crystalcheatum.com, and I will make sure that Joss or whoever you want to gets to hear about that. So He's right. I love friends. Friends. All the friends. <laughs> Cheers. Okay, I'm going to try my best Oprah impersonation. It's here! No, it was really bad. Even my voice cracked. <laughs> Um, our Bible app finally has a launch date. If you want to get the app for free when it drops, simply go to ourbibleapp.com and sign up. And while you're there, take a look at our Zebracorn t-shirt collection. I know you want one. <laughs> we are selling them as a campaign to help raise funds for the app. We really need your help, as always. So log on to ourbibleapp.com merch and check it out. It's that time of the show again, where Rev Sex gets to share some tasty deets with us. A little different this time, since I couldn't get this podcast out in time for Joss's protest in Orlando, I asked Alba to share the facts about what happened that weekend. Um, I'm amazed and floored by their actions. Seriously. Give it up, give it up for Rev Sex. The first part of this podcast is we we got to hear Joss talking about the problems with Christian supremacy, the problems with um, conglomerate organizations like the National Religious Broadcasters. And um, so what what did you guys do when you got down there? Yeah, it was kind of wild. We checked into the hotel and literally from the moment we checked in, there was an entire crew of security that... <clears throat> tailed us the entire time like literally there was 
all the regular security for the hotel who had their suits and headpieces on. But then there was an entire secondary crew of people um, employed by the hotel who had security vests on, who also had headpieces. And then there was dozens of off-duty police officers. So it was three layers thick of... um, of security and I could only hope that they paid top dollar for every one of those security guards and off-duty police officers because we were a group the folks who were checking into the hotel was a hotel room of four of us so we were a very we were very clear about our nonviolence, about um coming to do a vigil to remember the lives lost at Pulse um to be present and and speak out against the desecration of the of the death that had visited Orlando less than a year before and really be in solidarity with the Orlando community and so it was wild it was wild to be like here over the intercoms which of course I'm sure was intentional on their part to be literally three steps behind us there to be somebody handing off from one security guard at the next as we move through the hotel nowhere near the NRB where they were meeting but just like from the front desk to our hotel room for example they babysat Um, you were they like waiting outside your room when you left yeah it was like they were babysitting us they had folks at the different elevators going up and down so as long as we were in the room towers um we asked to have our room changed because they had us you know on a very high floor and they had to go through all kinds of approval and we had to wait for them to ready the room, whatever that means in a place that has thousands and thousands of rooms. So, you know, I have no idea what kind of level of surveillance was inside the room, but I can tell you the show of force on the outside was really um, intense. Yeah. Especially considering we were paying guests like all the rest. And so um, our ED had um, spoken with the security for the hotel and they had said, you know, there's a public grassy area outside of the hotel that's on public land and public property and we'll, you can protest there. Um, And so they said that there was some public space, a strip of grass outside the hotel that we could, um, protest and so RED said I'll bring it back to my crew and we'll see and we had um, decided that we were going to walk silently from our room in pairs we had some older volunteers from Orlando area and from nearby cities in Florida who came with their partners and um, that we were going to walk silently through the hotel um, and out the front door, not approach the area where the NRB was the first night because we felt really clear that we didn't want to um, ruin our chances of being able to do all the actions that we had planned for the whole week. And so we decided that we wouldn't risk arrest the first night, but we would um, just make a public stance by marching silently, holding hands um, m- through the lobby and on, and then we would walk to the public space and hold our vigil, particularly for our older folks and people with different mobility um, issues. We really want to make sure that everyone was safe. And How many people did you have uh, walking through the, the lobby like that? I think there was a dozen of us. So yeah. still a very small crew. and But enough um, to make a scene. Yeah. And folks holding hands and having most of the hotel be filled with religious um, fundamentalists and conservative people is its own is its own act of defiance. 
Um, but certainly nothing that should have gotten us arrested or barred or whatever. And so we left and moved through there, moved through the lobby outside um, on the sidewalk and we're walking to the public space um, humming and singing. We are a quiet, angry people. And the hotel GM and security approached us and said, we're giving you all trespass warnings and you have to get off the property. And so we asked for those outside and they said no. And so the police marched us through the NRB space, <laughs> through their lobby, and tried to stuff us into this tiny little corner room. Um, some of us went in and some of us stayed out. Um and so, yeah, we just decided that from there, we that that was the place that we were going to stage. We were much closer and in, in our B space than we ever had uh, planned on being that night. And we knew that we were getting trespassed, um, even though we had rooms there. And so folks pulled out their banners and um, started singing. And they were very disorganized and had paperwork everywhere and couldn't quite get it together. And they so they in just. The Popo and the NRB people? The police and the hotel security okay. and whatever, because they have to sign off on the paperwork or whatever. So um, it was really interesting. So we were had our banners and our doves and um, were singing and chanting at, in the NRB space as folks walked by while we were doing that whole process. And then two of us decided um, that we weren't going to leave. And so we approached the rotunda and started chanting, no justice, no peace. And the um, Orlando police quickly arrested us. And then we went through the process um, in the Orlando jail that night and were held for about eight hours and then got out the next day. So that was the first day and the action that was was went how it went and was really interesting um while we were chanting a couple of people were like really excitedly telling us how they supported us which was very strange and interesting At, um, from the nrb from the nrb Fascinating. yeah that's crazy it's wild it makes it very clear that the culture of silence and fear it's is breaking. really powerful and yet folks sometimes are brave and so anyway, that was the first one. We did the whole processing. We did some uh, media interviews and stuff like that. I mean, good on and you for getting arrested. I mean, I'm so amazed and proud of you. It was pretty wild from the police officers to the inmates to the corrections officers. When we explained what we were there doing and how the religious right had really come to just to really disrespect Orlando um, and the Pulse Massacre, everyone was like right on. One of our wow. correction officers who booked us um, told the comrade that I was in booking with uh, was like, I should have been off today and down there with y'all protesting. I love so that. It resonates. The people are still very raw and still very, it's still very fresh. And with everything going on, it's easy to feel forgotten. Um, and folks are still in pain and it is meaningful for a group of folks to come and say, you know, we're here because we chase this group of right wing folks around. And it's not that we're expecting to shut down the whole thing, although that would be great, but we also recognize that with just a very few people that you can cause enough disturbance and consequence to just remind always 
um, the opposition that we are here and we are not going to go easily into the night and we are going to continue on and that it's unacceptable. And we are part of the group of folks who with deep spirit and conviction hold them accountable for the ways in which their vile spiritual hostility really impacts the bodies of our people. I love that. Um, you are people, you, the Soul Force crew, and those who joined you were all people of faith or presenting as people of faith. And I know that you have profound and deep uh, spiritual faith and that those who are attending the NRB, supposedly this is an organization of faith and religion. And basically what you were saying was we're not, we serve the same God, um, but the way that you are serving your God is hurting so many people. And that's what we're frustrated with. Not the fact that you are Christians, but the fact that your Christianity seeks to hurt people and to smother culture. Um, I think that's another, it's so important to know that, um, especially when talking about the Pulse Massacre and the tragedy that happened there and the things that the young man cited after he was, um, after it was discovered who he was and what he had done and, you know, what he had, you know, premeditated. So, um, religion, religion is very scary, um, when people, um, ignore human experience and they ignore, um, what it is to be compassionate. I don't know. I yeah, keep rambling, was, but I'm still trying to figure it out myself. So, yeah, I mean, it was really one of the immediate consequences that we, um, saw was that the NRB, the day of the protest and the first day of their conference, um, issued a statement just a few hours beforehand saying that they were going to be doing an opening prayer in which they were going to pray for Pulse. And specifically, they were going to pray for the U.S. government that for their swift um, for their swift action to be able to, to extinguish radical Islam. And I was like, that is really interesting, right? They took this moment where we were saying to them, what you are doing with your explicitly anti- trans and homophobic policies, you are causing the spiritual harm that also translates into physical violence and death for our people. Um, And in response to that, they twisted, they kind of like pivoted, right? And were like, okay, well, we'll acknowledge that Pulse was here first time yet, that we are in the city where this thing happened. And we Yeah, you pushed them to do that. And we'll promote Islamophobia as a scapegoat for what we're actually what soul force is actually here to talk about what we're actually doing when we're celebrating homophobia and transphobia in our religious practices. So I think it's really important to note that that, that that is a very telling moment that there is deep, the same way that there is deep resonance with the messages of how harm translates into violence messaging and like the sending out of this terribly toxic theology across the global South and across around the world um, at the same time, there has to be this installation of fear. And so in order to not address the actual spiritual violence and physical harm that they're causing, they then twist it to be about fearing the exact same kind of rhetoric, but in a different religion. Yeah. And so it's an interesting transposition of blame. It's like, we understand that you really that some of y'all might actually believe that you aren't responsible for the deaths. But when I look back through the data 
And I see of the countries that we can count the number of trans people who have been murdered in the last five years, 92% of them come from strongly Christian nations, 92%. So in that, I'm sure that there are more that we can't count in Islamic nations and other places. But if we're just going to go with the records that we have, when we're talking about 1500 deaths in the last five years, we need to be talking about the Christian morality that is condoning that kind of thing. We need to like take the log out of our own eye before we start going after the splitter at someone else's. So, yeah. So that's what we're there to call (sighs) people in for. And uh, also just an exposure campaign. You know, the last day that we were there, the last night of their gala, um, we went back to the hotel and were immediately responded with some of the same police officers. They showed up and were like, well, hello there, Miss Alba. How are you doing? (laughs) How long y'all going to stay? You know, and um, telling us about our website and social media that they had clearly been on all week. But we showed up with like a 40-foot panner that said, Um, the NRB is celebrating homophobia and transphobia tonight at this hotel. And um, we had 49 luminaries um, out and read the names and this, a paragraph or two stories of each of the victims of pulse and sang and kind of did a ritual there um, on the last night in the public space. And, it was that same thing. The police said, how long are you staying? And we said, well, we're staying as long as the NRB staying. If they go home, we'll go home. If they come back, we'll be back. So it's that idea of holding space and holding vigil, like we said at the beginning, whether it's in the hotel or in the jail cell. Um, we kept that vigil for those 86 hours. In fact, I got out of prison, out of jail, I mean, um, around 5 in the morning and... Um, Myself and one other person stayed up for another four hours to finish that cycle of the of the vigil before the next crew came in and took over for their shift. So, girl, it really no you're is sick, <laughs> hanging out in jail cells, not getting sleep, traveling to foreign lands. Yes, I mean that's real, and it's also. It's important hard work. I don't think we can stress enough at this particular political moment when it feels like we're under attack from so many directions how important it is to do the work of non-compliance with our spirits and with our hearts hmm. lest we believe that we deserve this kind of harm and violence. Well, we owe you so much thanks for putting your body in danger and sticking up for queer people, not a lot, not just queer people, but queer Christians and those of us who are trying to make ourselves heard in um, this actual spiritual warfare so thank you thank you yeah thanks so much for those of us who can we should and i do whenever i can i feel blessed for that opportunity amen amen lord have mercy is growing rapidly and so we are currently looking for sponsors If you want to be part of this fun new platform, shoot an email to hi at crystalcheatum.com. And that's our show. Okay, bye.